Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast, your number one source for everything holistic health. Listen to guest interviews with top doctors and health experts and discover cutting-edge solutions for living your healthiest, longest, and most fulfilling life. There's never been a better time to become healthier, happier, and more alive. And now your host, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and cancer health researcher and educator, Nathan Crane. Hello and welcome, everybody. I'm so excited to have my good friend, Dr. Michael Carlfelt, joining us on the podcast today. Dr. Carlfelt is a naturopathic doctor. He's board certified naturopath. He has an expertise in many different kinds of therapies, including naturopathic oncology, nutritional therapies, anti aging, functional medicine, and a lot more. He's the host of True Health Mind, Body, Spirit, which is a series airing on Amazon, and he is the head naturopath at the Carl Felt Center in Idaho. Uh, Dr. Dr. Carl Felt is uh, also a council member on our Holistic Leadership Council and um, incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to complete mind, body, spirit, health, and he works with patients from all over the world who are dealing with all kinds of chronic health conditions and... um, Dr. Carl Felt, thank you so much for joining uh, joining me here on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm excited about our, about our conversations so where it's going to go and and uh, yeah, so many so many cool things to discuss. Yeah. So you, what are some of the? I'm just really curious, actually. Before COVID, so let's say you know pre 2020, and then now we're recording this in 2023. Are there, have you seen a major shift in the kinds of cases that you've seen uh, at your clinic uh, with patients? Does it seem to be about the same types of cases? Do you see more certain types of cases over others in terms of like specific chronic diseases, whether it's cancers or likewise, or um, I don't know if you're seeing any, you know, adverse events from uh, from the uh, vaccine as well. What, yeah, what, what are some differences that you've seen kind of pre-COVID and like, you know, this post-COVID era that we're in? Yeah, I, I think actually we, we live almost a little bit in a different world now than we did before. Uh, and the, the issues that I'm seeing uh, are getting a little bit more complex. Yeah, it's like you've thrown in a, a, another factor into it uh, that makes uh, diseases that you saw a little bit more of a mystery than what they used to be. I mean, we, we've learned a lot in regards to what COVID does, you know, what, what impact that it has on the body. But I, I still feel like there's a lot more to learn. I mean, we're using strategies, you know, like you know, going after you know, detoxification of heavy metals. We're blocking the ACE2 receptors. We're turning on mitochondria. We're reducing inflammation, cytokine storm, uh, all of these different strategies that we are, are using to uh, try to bring into the mix to see if we are getting more effective in dealing with, with issues that we haven't seen before. And in regards to, regards to the type of diseases, I mean, I, I see there's, there's a huge uptick you know, with with cancer patients. I mean, that is because I deal a lot with cancer and I know you're, you're very passionate about cancer as well. 
Uh, there, there's so many patients that are, they've got the vaccine and then shortly after they, they have stage four cancer. I mean, it just, it just blew up everywhere. Or you have patients that have been in remission for 20 plus years and been perfectly fine. They did the shot and then boom, you know, it's, it's everywhere. And so, so I've seen a huge uptick in, in those components. I've also seen, uh, so it's not only the, the vaccine after the vaccine, it's also if somebody has COVID, you know, I've, I've seen that that can then drive that process as well. Um, I'll probably say that the, the vaccine has kind of pushed that, that process a little bit more, I would say. Uh, other things, you know, a lot of neurological uh, brain issues, you know, you have uh, brain fog, fatigue, uh, memory, uh, also things like, you know, neurological like MS, um, I've seen a little bit, seen more, uh, and other, you know, you have also, you know, Bell's palsy, uh, that has been quite often, uh, female uh, hormonal issues, you know, female hormonal issues where, you know, the, the hormones are more dysregulated than what they used to be. And, and you have to work a little bit harder to kind of bring them back on board. Uh, an interesting story also in regards to uh, children being born. I mean, because uh, we, we've seen this vaccine really impact then uh, women quite a bit. And obviously, you know, men as, as well in some way, but, you know, women seem to have a harder time to, to get pregnant now than, than what they used to. And a, a friend of mine you know, is also a, a patient. She, uh, she works doing ultrasound for babies. And she just made the comment that, you know, she used to be, it was busy all the time. And it was like dead. I mean, there's like nobody there. I mean, so, I mean, the only, only thing that she can think of is that all of a sudden, you know, women just aren't having as many babies, you know, mm. because, you know, nobody's coming in for ultrasound. Yeah, that's, that's kind of concerning, isn't it? Yeah, so, so we're, we're, we're seeing then, obviously, an increase in death rate, you know, increase in chronic diseases, and then we're seeing a decrease in the ability to conceive so, so obviously that, I mean, the sum total of that means that we are, we're shifting to a population that is, is going to be less and less and less, you know, so, so you, you always wonder what, what kind of impact is that going to have then on, on us economically? And we, we always think, well, if we have less people, then we are consuming less, uh, but I'm, I'm from Sweden and, and we've had that issue for a while where, Couples, they have you know one point two children per couple. You know, uh, I just feel sorry for that point two child, and we got to be kind of tiny. Uh, but uh, so with that, then we are always then looking with a population that's older, and then you have the the young group, the the young portion needs to then financially support the older population and economically that becomes quite challenging so in sweden what they have done which also created issues is that they open borders you know pretty freely to make sure that they get younger workforce so to say you know from other countries that are willing them to come to sweden 
And so, so there, there's a lot of implications into, you know, what, what we're seeing health wise. And, and so we live kind of an interesting time. <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, interesting time for sure. And you and I were just talking, um, a few minutes back, uh, before we hit record about, you know, the mass censorship that has happened over the past, the past few years, really since, um, since the beginning of COVID and how damaging that is to the importance of a open and honest exploration of health and healing and how if you were to share any study that was done on the ineffectiveness of masks or if you were to share any study uh, even about you know natural solutions for enhancing the immune system against viral infections you know, coronaviruses have been around for as long as we know, right? And there, there's plenty of evidence to show that certain kinds of natural compounds can enhance your immune system and help fight against coronaviruses. Well, if you shared anything along those lines, not even saying that, hey, vitamin C or vitamin D or zinc or this or that will cure COVID. You don't even have to say that. All you had to say was, you know, if you take vitamin D or if you take vitamin C, if you combine these with zinc, you know, it's going to enhance your immune system and your body's going to be able to fight against um, the coronavirus a lot more effectively, or at least you'll increase your chances of enhancing your own body's immune system to fight against it, which is, which is a very plausible, um, uh, you know, consideration of, of natural implementation of these very simple, affordable things that, that we can do that are very well studied, very safe, um, you know, very effective for enhancing the immune system. Just saying anything along those lines, you know, your my YouTube channel was shut down. Your accounts were shut down. Uh, we were put in Facebook jail. We were, you know, these social media companies whose primary role is to connect people and to allow people to share opinions and truth and by sharing these things even if it was just your medical opinion or your professional opinion or your personal opinion you were shut down you were censored right and it was a very damaging thing to humanity um to say the least because people had no people who aren't in the research every day or working with patients or you know um decades of, of, you know, personal experience with natural health, they didn't know that these other solutions existed. They didn't know that they could help enhance their body's own immune system to fight against this thing or potentially even fight against it. Even if you didn't have hard science to say, you know, these natural therapies will prevent you from having a severe case of, of COVID-19. At least there's things that people could do to try and enhance their own immune system, but they didn't allow you to say that. And they said, you know, don't do anything, <laughs> right? Mask yourself, stay at home. Don't do anything until we have the magic drug for you, right? And to me, that's very, very concerning. And I think it's still important that we talk about these things. So we don't, um, you know, fall victim to, you know, this, this devastation ever again. Yeah, I, I think this was a, a huge lesson, and and as 
I, I think it's important for people to kind of recognize how they responded and and see whether you know how appropriate it was, and then also to recognize how quickly governments can uh, create regulations that make it very challenging, you know, for us to to be able to have the the rights that we're used to have our our ability to you know our free speech you know first amendment and and you know the right to be able to assemble you know in the fourth amendment and all these different things where all of a sudden uh we were using a a a scare tactic you know to then take away our ability to have good discussions to come out with you know come up with good good solid science to explore how to to address what we were dealing with uh, so it, it it seemed like it was a very strong agenda and if, if there was something that was opposing that agenda that that those uh, discussions were not allowed to be part of the solution and and that always in my mind becomes very dangerous if you are uh, having very biased discussions and and yes maybe they feel that you know, such and such uh, scientist is is wrong, or that that science is not correct. But you you need to be able to have a dialogue back and forth, and that is how you're then able to vet and find out uh, what is what is a good solution. And the more you bring on board, you know, the more scientists and and good people uh, that you bring on board, uh, the healthier discussion will become. And uh, and and that is kind of we America we're we're known for being inclusive and then also being uh, supposed to be unbiased and you know, not uh, judgmental against any kind of religion or race or philosophy or thought or and so here we're then put in a place where uh, things becomes very emotionally charged whenever somebody had an opinion that is different than than yours and so right when when the pandemic started i, I because we we didn't know you know no, nobody really kind of knew what we're dealing with and uh, and i had a lot of great discussions with, uh, with scientist friends of mine in order to be able to really understand what was going on so i, I immediately then started with facebook live and i thought i'll i'll do one one video every day you're just talking about boosting your immune system and things that you can do exactly like what you're talking about you know what you know the impact of vitamin c you know impact of glutathione impact of an acetylcysteine the vitamin d you know, the zinc you know talking a little bit about some of the uh the, the scary things like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine you know which is uh became like a swear word there for a while but now more and more people are are recognizing the the impact of of these kind of safe older drugs and and yes everything should be taken with prudence uh, but people take Tylenol they take aspirin they take you know and these are different things that people are just able to take over the counter and they they use their judgment you know with that so I think that the more you're censored the discussion. Uh, it almost pushes people to make choices that maybe were not as as uh, weighted or as you know it it wasn't as thought through. So mm. I think it would have been healthier to have a good discussion 
Um, and I did radio shows, you know, with like Dr. Judy Mikovits, you know, talking about, you know, the uh, the virus and where it came from and and also did other radio shows talking about, you know, the experiments in regards to the coronavirus and the vaccines in the past, how they were failed and, and how they killed, you know, the ferrets that they tested it on. They they the majority of them died and it had to do with the uh, what's called pathogenic priming, you know, where when you have a vaccine for the coronavirus, then you you prime yourself to have a stronger reaction next time you're exposed to it. And 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 that's why they shut that down. And and here we're then rolling out a vaccine that is uh, that in the past been tested not to work. And then in regards to the the masking, I mean, there's there's no science behind that. I mean, there there's none. I mean, the only what we're seeing is that the masks, you know, just a little increase in carbon dioxide, which happens. Uh, they've seen studies that it increases anxiety in people, depression, panic. You know, so so that is a huge factor. It also decreases glutathione in the body. Uh, you're more apt to them to kind of breathe in bacterial spores and fungal spores that are trapped in the mask. And I was having nurses, you know, working at the ER and they were seeing bacteria in the lungs that didn't belong in the lungs, you know, just because they breathe in, you know, what, what was in the mask, you know. And so there's, there's just so many different things that uh, we dealt with that we shouldn't have to deal with if we had a good open discussion. You know, that's a really good point that people, because the discussion was censored from very well-respected doctors and scientists. I mean, these are people who, you know, decades uh, with clinical hands-on experience, uh, peer-reviewed published scientists, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them, potentially thousands, who started coming out and speaking um, that was, you know, uh, let's just say against the mainstream narrative that was being reported on mainstream media if they said anything that was counter to that at all, or just questioned that at all, they were censored, um, just like you. And the problem with that, as you said, is that people may be making informed, no, ill-informed, uh, may be taking ill-informed actions, right, for their health. Because they go, well, I don't really know who to believe or what to do, so what, I'll just take a bunch of this or a bunch of this, or I'll do nothing which is often just as worse as, you know, doing something too excessively. And so not being able to have that discussion, have that debate, have doctors sharing what they're seeing, you know, clinically, even if it's not double blind peer reviewed science, but they say, look, in my office, and I sat down, you know, early on in COVID um, with uh, a doctor who came to an event I was at in Santa Fe, and she said, look, every single patient that I have treated for COVID using my protocols, which was, if I remember correctly, it was vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, um, uh, many of them with ivermectin, et cetera, et cetera. So natural, you know, immune enhancement, and then also some off-label drugs that she was using. She said 100% of them um, lived. 100%. And I, and she had some patients who were elderly with chronic, uh, with chronic diseases. Now that's not to say that if everybody did what she was doing, that 100% of people would live, but she's one person who should have been allowed to share those case studies online. So other doctors and other scientists, uh, could look at that and go, well, you know, 
we don't really exactly know what's going on, but we know that these things that you're doing are very safe. So let's at least do that and, and, and see what we can help our patients with rather than sit back and do nothing. Never in, in your, my wildest dreams would I think that, you know, a, a virus or you know, crazy bacterial infection or, or a cancer diagnosis or whatever, um, were to sweep across, you know, the world that sitting back and doing nothing, waiting for the magic pill to come from, you know, the multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies that really don't care about your health. We know they only care about profits. We've seen them, you know, a lot of these pharmaceutical companies are, um, are criminal corporations, meaning they have been charged with crimes, uh, paying billions of dollars because they have lied about studies. They've lied about their products. They've lied about their drugs. Um, a number of these companies uh, that somehow people still trust today that they have your best interest in mind, that they care about you and your health, uh, were caught lying and had to pay billions of dollars. We know drugs that were on the market for years and years that they lied about that killed thousands, tens of thousands of people. Vioxx is one of them. There's a new heartburn. I mean, there's a there's a new case that's come out recently that um, uh, a very common heartburn drug that people have used, an antacid, that millions and millions and tens of millions of doses have been uh, used. Um, now they're saying, hey, this company actually knew, or or um, or at least they were aware of the fact that it potentially could cause cancer. And they just swept that under the rug, made billions of dollars, sold it to millions and millions of people. And now we'll see what happens. But most likely what happens is these, you know, these companies get a slap on the wrist. They get a $3 billion, $4 billion fine. Everyone goes, oh, my God, uh, they paid $4 billion. And what a terrible company. They, you know, and all these people that have cancer and are going to die or, you know, the family members that have to deal with that. Um, and then they just go on and make another drug and do the same freaking thing over again. It's insane that, that, that we allow that to happen. But what's even more insane to me is how people see that and they still think that these drug companies have their best interest in mind, that they actually care about you and your health. Like, how can you see them do that and then think that they care about you? Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. Com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, it, it is fascinating. I mean, you, you can you can look at a number of these companies. I mean, they they were were around in Germany you know, during World War II. I mean, they were there funding uh, the research that was going on in concentration camps on on humans. Yeah, you know, they they were there funding those kind of experiments. So that that's just kind of the culture where where there a number of them are coming from. Doesn't mean that everyone, obviously, at at the drug companies, I mean that they're all bad or they're all right. evil. But of course, but you you kind of need to recognize who they are. I mean, they it takes about 
think it's about $2.7 billion to get, get a drug you know, to the market. And so they need to recoup that money. And so they're going to do whatever they can you know, to create whatever kind of study uh, and you know people's lives. So those are acceptable risks you know, that they deal with. And they, they know that they're going to get X amount of uh, uh, you know, lawsuits and it's going to cost X amount to deal with that. And so it's, it's all, all of those things are in the calculation. So it, we have to recognize that these are businesses. You know, they are not out there to you know, to make any person feel better. They're there to make money, and and whatever they need to do to manipulate anything to make money, they're they're going to do that. And in regards to you know the the COVID, you know the magic pill for COVID, and you know them pretty much shutting down any other possible solution that existed i mean you you had there you, you had patients that were going to the er and they were dealing with symptoms you know you know dealing with the cough you know they're dealing kind of the the, uh, the covid symptoms but their lips weren't blue and they could still breathe and they were turned away you know because uh, medically, it was told that there is no cure for COVID, which means that there is no treatment for COVID. So they were not allowed to treat anyone that had COVID. They were able then to treat when it became an emergency, but it got so bad that it needed to be ventilated and needed to, you know, all the other remdesivir and all these things that they they threw onto people. Uh, they were allowed to do that when it got so severe. But all these people that were turned away, you know, because their lips weren't blue and their symptoms weren't as bad, they were not given any other options. So uh, to then at the same time, then censor doctors that were providing solutions that were providing, you know, well, why don't you go and get a vitamin C IV or why don't you take a high dose of vitamin D or ivermectin and, and to block that is criminal uh, but at the same time you recognize if you see that these are businesses and they were wanting to have a big payout for what was coming what they were rolling out and so they were creating this this huge hunger for some kind of a solution because they were seeing such and such friend was dying and such and such friend was really get hit bad and and there, there was a lot of fear and 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 we were not, there was no solution. And now we're, we're just waiting for this magic pill. And then finally we have it. And now we're just going to rush and, and get it. And, and that is the best way to market something is just to create scarcity. And then you are the only one that, that has a solution. So it, it is criminal. Uh, and it is important uh, kind of looking back in retrospect to not trust organizations that have so much vested money into it. And then also they have no liability, meaning we we can't sue them. We can't do anything. So whatever they do is 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 blessed by the Pope and, and they can just move forward. You know, I want to talk about that for a minute, especially for people who don't know. I'm sure most of you tuning in hopefully know this, but I think a lot of people out there don't realize that, you know, vaccine companies have complete and total blanket immunity, especially during COVID. And in fact, they've had this uh, as vaccine company uh, manufacturers uh, for a long time. Uh, they were able to get complete 
immunity from vaccines uh, because they said, look, if we don't have immunity from our vaccines, we will we will go bankrupt. Too many people will sue us from adverse events that we will go bankrupt. We cannot do it. So uh, you probably remember what year this was. Uh, it's it's uh, I can't think of it at the moment. I, I believe have to look e- it up. either like 84, 87, something like that. Yeah, and it was exactly that day. And they're complaining because there were so many people that were going after them because of adverse reactions. And they said, well, we if, if we're going to continue this, then, yeah, we need this protection. And uh, and and the issue is that and and then they set set aside a fund you know that is governmentally funded, which in essence it's the taxpayers that that pay into that. So it's not the uh, the drug companies that in any way pay into that. And then for people that are vaccine injured, you know we we can then you know try to uh, be uh, compensated for our injury. Uh, but it's almost impossible to prove that you're vaccine injured. Uh, it just seems like uh, the only way that you can get any any money from there is if you you know you got the shot in your arm and you locally there you know get issues and now that arm is having issues. But not for autistic children. You know that the day after they get the vaccine now they're autistic or for you know any neurological or for Gardasil or all all the different issues that come along with all those but yeah so it it is really I, I don't know any other industry where you can where you have no liability whatsoever you can do whatever and you can walk away scot-free and and you still made the money on your product right it's crazy um i'm going to share my screen for those of you who are watching um but What's crazy to me is how, like you said, in it was 1986, uh, part of the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 is called the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. If you can prove that you had an adverse event from a vaccine, and that's very, very hard to do, by the way. Um, and as you said, it has to be a very specific kind of ad. Like what I understand from it is, the drug companies, through their studies, which we know they manipulate them and lie about them, that's not a conspiracy. They have been charged with crimes by the federal government that they lie about their studies, okay? So let's just keep that for a second. That they say, well, our studies show that you can get these adverse events, swelling, some pain, some blah, whatever, right? As you said, not autism, not other issues that a lot of people have associated, a lot of doctors and well-respected scientists have associated with um, uh, with a number of different vaccines. But if if you can prove that you got this adverse event that the drug companies have approved <laughs> that, that causes those adverse events, um, then you can get some money for that from this fund that is um, very hard to do, by the way. Uh, but as... Most recently, uh, I was looking, it looks like $4.2 billion has been paid out of that fund so far since the 1980s. Um, Okay, here, I'm going to share this. This is, anyone can find this at the United States Court of Federal Claims. Again, this is the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. And this outlines everything that we're talking about. So people who don't know about this, um, you know, go, oh, this is all conspiracy. No, this is well known and well documented. Uh, for decades, number one. Um, 
And then, you know, data and statistics from the Health Resources and Services Administration. Um, you can go through this chart. But basically, it's been about $4.2 billion in compensation has been awarded out of the federal claims for um, vaccine adverse events. So when people say, oh, vaccines don't cause adverse events, then why have $4.2 billion been paid out to people? Of course they cause adverse events. But the other side of the conversation is, well, um, you know, it's, it's the... Um, it's the price that we pay for general health for the most amount of people. You know, that's kind of the defense to it. It's like, well, a few people got to get hurt so everyone else can stay safe. And I just don't agree with that at all. Do you? I, I, I don't. And I, I do feel so what, what's happening with these mandates and everything. And, you know, you, you have kids not being able to go to school, you know, because they're not vaccinated and, and, you know, it's all, all these kind of things. I, I think people should have a choice as to what kind of treatment that they, uh, that they want to get. I mean, so, and, and I, I think that is the key with all of this. You know, people don't really feel that they have a choice and they, if I need to travel to such and such place, yeah, I need a certain vaccine, but then we're then bringing that into if I need to take my kid to preschool, you know, they have to have all these vaccines. I I think a, a, a mother parent should have the choice in regards to what is being put into their, their child. And, uh, and I, I think that the risks aren't educated very well. You know, anytime when you bring out a therapy, you know, we know any doctor say, they need to communicate as to what the risks are. So uh, it, it should be then communicated as to what may take place and what has happened in regards to these different vaccines. And, and these, these different, in regards to the vaccine, I mean, we will look upon and kind of the history of them. And we were thinking, well, we, we cured measles, we cured polio and we cured all these things. And, and it's not really clear that they actually did that. I know back in the, even before, and we think vaccines is, are kind of like a, a recent uh, discovery. I mean, in, in the past, they kind of smeared, you know, a cope, you know, a pus from a cow and, and, uh, and then injected that into people and, and people died and, and, you know, some didn't. And there was a big kind of revolution in England in regards to that. Uh, back in the 1800s, so it, it's been a battle that's been going on back and forth, and we're we're continuing to fight that battle where you have a governmental overreach pushing therapies onto people, whether they like it or not. So, uh, to me, I think people should have the choice if they want to choose to take, you know, let's say I want to do vitamin D or I want to take the herb echinacea or. I think like colloidal silver is, is a better better choice, you know, to gargle and rinse, you know, nose rinse with or use ozone or use, you know, there's so many different therapies that are out there that do not carry the kind of risk that the vaccines do. And so why not then educate about those things and why not educate about the importance of, of food and because we're seeing kind of with the with the covid crisis that we're dealing with the, the the people that were impacted the most you know these were 
people that were dealing with other comorbidities, you know, like diabetes, you know, heart disease. Uh, and we know that by just changing diet, we can then shift uh, the risk factor. And if you think about the amount of money that is was spent then on vaccine federal money, I mean, our money, not just the vaccine company's money, but yours and my money were spent in order to bring this out. If we would have spent that amount of money to create educational programs in what to eat, you know, what kind of nutrients are available, what are some safe alternatives, you know, what are some lifestyle factors and people that couldn't afford, you know, to eat well, to set up programs where uh, they have access to good, clean food, you know, good nutrition. I mean, the outcome would have been so different and America would have been in such a different place. So it's all about choices and education. And, and I feel that we are not allowed to have that with, uh, with the amount of money and power that these different pharmaceutical companies yield. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life. At healinglife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors, and survivors. Exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at healinglife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net. And I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's tremendous amount of money and tremendous amount of power and and a lot of, you know, reason for them to to lie about things to keep the money and to keep the power. And so it's just something we got to keep in the back of our minds. I'm not saying don't ever use pharmaceuticals, don't ever go to conventional medicine. Of course, I'm not saying that I'm saying we have to be one be able to have these conversations uh, to question these things and to try to find the best approach for each one of us, right? And if your approach is, hey, go take pharmaceuticals and work with, with the conventional medical approach, then by all means do it. But you should at least have access to the information. You should have at least access to be able to, to, to ask questions openly and freely and to be able to know all sides of of uh, the health story, whether it's you want to do it naturally, holistically, or integratively, however you want to choose, you should, as you said, have that right to choose. And that's what's being stripped away from us. And that's what will continue to be stripped away from us unless we actually stand up and do something about it. Unless we actually say, hey, no, this is not right. I am not giving up my health freedom. I am not giving up my right to choose. I am not giving up my ability to decide what's right for me and my own family. 
And people say, well, that's selfish. And, and if you don't get this vaccine or that drug or whatever, then you're killing other people, which we know to be absolute bullshit, right? That's absolutely not the case at all. But that's what people were told. And that's what, you know, I, I've, I've shared this with a lot of people. One of the things I noticed that the media and the drug companies and the people in charge, especially uh, during COVID, you know, Fauci, and others would come on the news and basically co-opt our compassion. And that's what they did. They co-opted our compassion by saying, look, if you don't do these things, you're going to kill your grandma or your neighbor or somebody else. It's literally what they were telling us. And so through our compassion, we complied or millions of people complied. Many of us didn't comply. Many people complied out of fear of death, or hurting somebody else and out of compassion for saying, hey, this is the right thing to do because I care about other people. And when you care about other people like I do and you do and many of the people we work with, then you are more thoughtful and considerate in the things that you do in your life, right? I drive a little bit slower. I'm, I pay more attention when I drive. I, you know, will stay stopped um, at a light for a split second extra and look to see if you know, somebody's going to be running that red light when mine turns green, right? When you care about other people and you care about yourself, your children, your community, you take actions that reflect that out of your compassion, out of your love for others. And I have a deep love and compassion for humanity. And it was very tough for me early on in COVID um, because my research and my uh, intuition and my, you know, 15 plus years of experience in the health world was telling me everything that I was being told was questionable at least and felt like a lot of it was actually a lie. Then I started pulling up studies that had already been done, research that wasn't being shared, um, like I said, on masks and other things. I mean, going back to masks, I found early on in COVID, I found a, a mask study that was done for a respiratory virus at a campus, at a college campus over a decade ago. And, and in that study, they clearly showed that the mask, you know, one group of college students wearing a mask and other group not wearing them, the ones wearing masks had zero improvement of reduction of infection, and it was a respiratory virus. And so just sharing that, at the, so when I found that, and then I shared it online, and then they censored my accounts and said, you know, this was just a legitimate study in a scientific journal. And they shut down my account and wouldn't let me post. I was like, okay, something else is going on here, right? All I'm doing is sharing something I found, opening a, a question and a debate about what we were being told. And so, you know, for me, it was, okay, I, I, I'm sharing things that are questioning the mainstream narrative and I'm getting, you know, censored and shut down. Okay, there's something else going on here. And then you start to connect the dots, you follow the money, you follow the power and things start to make sense, right? But what I saw with so many colleagues, even in the natural health space, and I would say friends and family who are more, you know, spiritual, um, spiritual people who care about others, their compassion was co-opted. And it was co-opted to serve their cause of more power, more fear, more money. And I'm hoping today that more and more people, which I, I believe they have, have realized this and have chosen to, you know, at least question the things they're being told by people in power. 
Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And I, I see I'm in a good example. I'm I'm from Sweden. It's a socialistic country. And, you know, they're they're very socially aware, I would say, yeah, you know, in Sweden. But with that, what comes along with that is that they um uh, they want to protect everyone else and they're willing to sacrifice themselves for the common good. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a little bit of that that socialistic mindset. Uh and 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 that's it's not bad per se, but I I think with that though, when we lose our identity and our individuality and and our ability to, or or the, our right or freedom to think for ourselves and and act, you know, for our common good, uh, I I think that poses a real big danger. And I I always kind of go back to like a, a you know a scriptural reference, you know, where you talk by the fruit you shall know them. And so you can kind of see what is the after effect of of these choices of this propaganda. Uh it was was you know people we were seeing fear, we were seeing families split apart, we were seeing you know great friends, you know, not talking to each other anymore. Uh, having you know friends that were not able to attend their uh, their son's wedding, uh, you're seeing people you know elderly dying at the hospital, not having their loved ones around them. You know all the none none of that is is something that I would consider being in a space of love and compassion and freedom and peace and you know and. And all these emotions are really important for our own immune system and for our own healing. So if we if we create an environment where we are not in that space, uh, our ability to survive actually goes down dramatically. So so I I think you know the lesson that we need to learn is to not get into that divisive space and to not get into that space where we are blaming this person for that or, you know, or, you know, I'm, because everyone feels like they want to be the authority and I want to be right. Uh, but to kind of let go of that ego and let go of, of, of that and let go of your, you know, uh, sports team, sort of say that that happened. Are you a COVID denier? Or are you a COVID? I was actually called the COVID denier because I did a presentation in front of a, a kind of governmental group here in Idaho. So, so I was on first page and I was called a COVID denier, which was fascinating because at the same time, uh, my uh, I was gone after because I was educating people on how to boost the immune system because we were dealing with a pandemic. Uh, so I was attacked for both denying it and because I was, you know, talking about boosting the immune system. So, yeah, I, I, I think it is really important exactly what you're saying. It is, it's, it's really recognizing that if I feel at peace, if I feel at love, if I'm having compassion for my fellow being, then I'm in a good space. And if there are propaganda that are pushed on me where I'm moved out of that space, then that is not a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And, you know, back to what I was saying, actually, this ties in when I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, when, you know, at the height of the pandemic, early, well, let's say early March or early 2020. And I was seeing these, you know, again, 
seeing what was being told to us and then seeing behind the scenes and talking to many doctors and colleagues who are working with patients hands-on and in clinic and they're not seeing the same thing and they're treating patients successfully with, you know, more natural approaches or an integrative approach. And then, you know, over here they're telling you, oh, there's nothing you can do. You wait until you're almost dead and then get on a ventilator and then people are dying and they're saying, hey, you know, COVID killed them. But other experts I'm talking to are saying, no, COVID didn't kill them. It was the ventilators that was killing people, right? You're seeing so many different sides of the story. Um, and then and then I would go out into public and, you know, again, as they're trying to co-opt our compassion and and I wouldn't wear a mask because I saw that they, the studies that showed that they didn't help, like the one that I referenced, I was talking to doctors and scientists behind the scenes who were saying, look, all you're, like you said, all you're doing is breathing your own CO2. And in fact, by creating this, you know, um, this perfect environment inside your mask of humidity and warmth, that's like a breeding ground for viruses to replicate. So, you know, I came to the conclusion that actually by wearing a mask, I was spread, I would potentially be spreading this virus worse. And all the research I saw and all the doctors I talked to um, all pointed in that direction that I wouldn't actually be helping anybody. I could potentially be spreading it worse. And there was no way to prove one way or the other, but it made sense to me logically. And so I said, I'm not wearing one uh, because of compassion and because of, you know, my rejection of authority. I mean, I've been primarily anti-authority my entire life. And when, you know, a huge authority, you know, organization with lots of power and money comes in, tells you, you have to do this because we say so, and you can't question it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And if you don't do it, you know, we're going to lock you up or call you a denier or this or that. Um, we're going to say you're killing people. You know, it's like, no, I don't give in to that fear and I don't trust that kind of authority. So, I was like one of the only people and we had a very small group of people in Santa Fe who we'd get together and, and talk about these things and share science. It wasn't being shown and have conversations, but you know, I felt, I also felt really terrible. I was very stressed out because I'd go into a store and they'd come chasing after me and they'd be, Oh, sir, you need a mask. And it's like, you know, what do you say? You can't sit down and have a 20 minute conversation with someone who's freaked out, who thinks, you know, they're going to die because you're spreading COVID to them because you don't have a mask and you, know, you can't really explain yourself. And then they want to call the cops and kick you out. And it's like, it was, it was like being in another world. It was like being in, in some crazy nightmare, you know, and seeing so much fear in people and putting up plexiglass and stay away from me and all of this. And it just created this separation. It created this fear. It created this, um, you know, masking ourselves so that you don't talk to other people, so you stay away from them. And that is, I think, the last thing you want to do in a pandemic, right? I think what we want to do, or at least what I wanted to do, and, and the small group of people I found wanted to do, was actually, hey, let's let's talk about this. Let's find ways to support each other. Let's see what we can do to help ourselves and help our families and help others. Let's see what we can do preventatively. You know, let's look at the data. Oh, the people who are actually dying from COVID, they have three plus comorbidities, meaning majority of people, the highest percentage of people that were dying from COVID, you know, they had, they had heart disease, they had diabetes, they had cancer, they were already very unhealthy. And then the virus was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And so, you know, of course, I feel for those people and the families who lost family members and 
what can we do to help prevent other people from dying? Let's take a look at who's already sick. Well, all right, these are chronic lifestyle inflammatory metabolic diseases. Let's let's really do everything we can to help them uh, to help them heal those diseases, or at least enhance their immune system, enhance their body's ability to to fight that disease and then fight uh, an infection if they get one. Of course, you can't do that overnight, but people can make incredible changes and see incredible results. As you know, the the many cancer uh, clients and cancer patients that I've worked with over the years, and I'm sure the many many you know, chronic disease patients that you've worked with, you've seen incredible results when people make diet and lifestyle changes, right? And so what I was doing was trying to educate people on just like what you were doing. Hey, how do we enhance our immune systems and improve our health naturally and holistically so that when this thing does come along, you know, you're going to be better equipped to fight against it. Um, But I was faced with so much adversity and so much judgment and, you know, people attacking me and things like that. It was just like, it was so overwhelming. Um, And we know that, you know, stress, fear, anxiety, overwhelm, these things do inhibit the immune system as you were talking about. And so, you know, being in that really challenging space, how do we find our inner peace, activate our parasympathetic nervous system, help upregulate our immune system? For me, it's meditation, it's Qigong, it's it's, uh, working out, you know, exercising, doing CrossFit, these kinds of things you know, things that I really enjoy that bring me happiness and then also calm down my nervous system. Um, And I think that's, you know, one of the big takeaways is when this happens again, because I think it will, we will see it in our lifetime again, that we're more prepared to take action in a better direction, use our compassion wholeheartedly, not out of fear, but out of love to take care of our fellow, you know, uh, brothers and sisters and children here on the planet. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that, uh, that I will have, you know, from all of this. And I hope many other people do as well. And, and I hope, and I, I went through the, the same thing, you know, where, you know, being the only one in the store, not wearing a mask and, and you're, you're just kind of wondering, uh, when are they going to come after you, you know, or somebody chasing you down or not letting you in, you know, having a going, going to a restaurant and you're, you're able to stand there kind of waiting for a table and then, and you can stand there without the mask. And then all of a sudden you're, you're to walk from that little area about five feet, you know, to where the table is, we're not able to make that transit without putting on a mask. And, you know, so it's, it, <laughs> it was so let's talk about that for a second. It was so crazy, right? Like these were the policies that were put in place. I remember going so so you know, a year and a half or two years in New Mexico dealing with, you know, some of the most tightest um lockdown measures that there were. Um, you know, comparatively California was was just as bad and or many parts of California, I should say, New Mexico basically was was very very strict in a lot of ways. And, um, so we ended up moving to Florida cause I was just like, I can't keep, I can't let my kids grow up around this and all this fear. And then they're out of school, you know, and they're going to keep the schools closed. And it was just like, we ended up moving to Florida. Well, the crazy thing was the day we drove to Florida and we, we stopped in Pensacola to, um, go to this organic, I think it was an organic, like vegan restaurant. You would think, oh, these are healthy people, you know, they, uh, and we're in Florida where everything is free now. I mean, I mean, health freedom. 
uh, is abundant. And we go to the restaurant and when we, you know, I saw that they had, oh, masks required. I was like, seriously, we picked the one restaurant in Florida where masks are required. Like the first one you, we stopped you at. tracked it down. <laughs> we tracked it down. Talk about law of attraction, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we go in and we sit at the table and then I walk up to order and everything's plexiglass. Everyone's got double masks. Everyone's, you know, still freaked out. And this is like two years in or a year and a half or two years in. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, oh my God, I hope we're not dealing with this, you know, all throughout Florida. And we're sitting there and I walk up to, to go order. And she goes, sir, you have to have a mask to order. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? I'm like, we can sit at the table without masks. We're two feet away from our neighbors. All the tables are close to each other. You know, air is circulating in here. You know, viruses, bacteria, you name it, it's all around us 24-7. And you're saying, I, I can sit here without one, but I, when I walk five, literally the cash register was five feet away. When I walk five feet over, I have to put on a mask to order and then I take it off and walk back to my table. I'm like, do you have any idea how insane that sounds? That's our policy. That's it. Da, da, da. You know, and it was, again, these were good, caring people whose compassion was co-opted. And it was like, we we and I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to leave. Like I'm going to get food for my family. We've been driving cross country. We're freaking hungry. Like I am just not going to bow down to this nonsense. And so I'm I'm like, you know, can you call the owner? Like whatever we got to do to get food. You know, we want to support your business. This is a small local business. We want to support you guys and you're trying to you know, kick us out of here for not wearing masks by, for walking five feet. I'm like, do you have any idea how insane this sounds? So we worked it out to where we were able to go sit outside and the cook and the dishwasher came up to us and he's like, no, what I asked was, I was like, can you just have someone come to our table and take our order? <laughs> yeah. I know it's five feet away, but since we, you know, if we don't have to have masks here, can you just take our order here? Oh no, we can't do that. We have to take it over here at the register. I'm like, come on, <laughs> like work with us here. We're trying to give you guys money, you know? And uh, the, the dishwasher comes up and he goes, ah. he goes, man, I'm, I'm quitting in a couple of weeks. I'm getting the hell out of here. He's like, I, I'm with you guys. He's like, uh, let me know what I can do to help you. I'm like, I'm like, hey, man, we just want to order food. I'm like, if, you, if someone can just take our order at our table, you know, we'd be happy to support you guys. And he's like, he's like, oh, I'll do that for you. No problem. So. The, the manager, the, the hostess, the, all the people wouldn't do it except the dishwasher came out and he's like, he took our order, he put it in. And then I was like, you know what, to even ease tensions a little bit, we'll go sit outside, you know, where it's all open air. So it was a little chilly, but it was like, whatever. So we went and sat outside and then, um, you know, thankfully he was like part dishwasher, part cook. So I don't think they spit in our food, but uh, but you never know. But it was just one of those crazy situations that I was just like, we are in a, you know, this is what, so the, the real thing is, this is what fear does to the human mind. It makes you act irrationally, right? And that's why we have to have practices in place to help deal with and overcome fear when these things happen. Yeah, it's was, it was, it was like a twilight zone. I mean, it, and it was just fascinating how quickly, I mean, it, it's, I mean, we know in our own companies, your company, my company, how long it takes to implement something, you know, within the company. And, and here we have the strategies and regulations that were implemented worldwide, you know, within, within a couple of months, you know, so, 
So you, you, it just kind of makes you wonder, and then it makes you just wonder kind of what the uh, what the agenda, if there was some other agendas behind it, you know, and, and I'll just kind of leave it there. We, we, I mean, we, we don't know the full picture and I don't think we'll ever know, but it, it just, the, the, the sad part is exactly what we, what we're highlighting is that yes, we have a, a small group of people that have power, have influence, they own the media, you know, outlets, you know, there's only, like three owners of all the media, you know, all the newspapers here in the United States and, you know, the other media outlets, you know, CNN and all the you know different outlets there. There's only, there aren't that many people that own all these different outlets and how quickly then uh, the public, us human beings can then shift our mindset and how we behave against our uh, fellow being just based upon what a small group of people have kind of cooked up for us and how and you know with their power and and also then to recognize how powerful these outlets are you know these these media outlets and how quickly that can then shift people's minds i mean we if we look at like during world war ii was 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 interesting uh my uh my father-in-law um he, he was a Marine, fought in the the, uh, the Vietnam War, and after the Vietnam War, you know, he, he just needed to travel, kind of get away from all the kind of ugly that, that he saw. So he traveled in Europe and to all the little towns, you know, in, in Europe, and and uh, he was just kind of intrigued, asking them, yeah, during World War II, I bet this, this would have been really scary for you and all everything that was going on. And the majority of those towns that really had no idea that World War II was taking place. I mean, they they were actually not aware and they were just kind of living life as normal. So how we are now with the media outlets, with the with the social media, with you know, the uh, look TV all the time, the news media and all, all that, we are then able to impact all of the world so that we are put in a state of fear everywhere. You know, even the small old towns that during World War II in Germany had no idea that World War II was taking place. You know, here we know throughout the whole world, you know, within an instant, and we can be in total fear panic within an instant, just based upon what the social media uh, is, is putting out. And that, that changes how we then behave against our fellow being and how we perceive what love is and how we what we perceive compassion is. Because I, I believe that the person that told you that you have to wear a mask, she was not doing it from ill will. You know, it was based upon, you know, what she had been told uh, that she was there to put in a place to protect the public. You know, to protect the people from whatever scary things has going on. Just like I think a lot of the German soldiers that were, you know, told, you know, let's ship these people to, you know, let's put them on the train and they're going to go to, you know, a good safe place, you know, and, and you know, the work camp and going to get food. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure a number of the soldiers were told that and they they were put on the plane and they were on the train and they felt really good that they were helping people. Uh, so I, I think it's just important to recognize and the power of the media and the, the power and, and the importance of uh, not relying on that for your, uh, your, your, your peace and your 
you know, what, what feels right and what feels good, you know, it is done through like what you, you mentioned, you know, like it, the meditate, you know, go to prayer, you know, and to be centered and, and not fall away from who you are, even though these outlets are, are trying to change your, your viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, to your point, um, people are often told one thing and then, you know, the ones kind of behind the scenes who are making the calls are sometimes doing something different. Talking about, you know, Nazi Germany, or just talking about, I really don't know what those German soldiers were told. I don't know if anyone really does other than, you know, the talks we've seen of, of Hitler and so forth, basically saying, Hey, we need to, you know, this, this race needs to, uh, you know, needs to be, uh, eliminated. I mean, I think that was a lot of the propaganda, right? Was, I think that the, I think many of the German soldiers knew what they were doing in terms of, Hey, these are, these are bad people. They're, you know, we need to get rid of them. They're full of all kinds of diseases and problems. I think they were manipulated and lied to in a different way. You know, the, you know, with, with the rifles and so forth being told that, you know, taking them from their homes and getting rid of them and sending them away. I don't know if they knew that, you know, millions of innocent um, Jewish people were going to be exterminated. I don't know if that, if they were all told that or not. Certainly many of them did know that. But at the same time, out of that fear, you know, it's like fear is such a powerful motivator, right? And so if they were told, hey, these people are, are bad, they're evil, they're filled with diseases, they have the demons. I mean, I remember reading something about where I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe um, people were told that like Jewish people were, um, you know, that the, they were like demons. They had demons inside of them, things like that. I think this is something that like Hitler said at one point, I, you know, I may be wrong on that, but I remember reading something about that. So through the fear, you can get people to do just complete insane things. Um, just like through the compassion, you know, the, the, the compassion for love for others. If you manipulate people, you can get them to do really insane things as well. And I agree with the COVID as you were saying, it was like a combination of compassion and fear. It's like the people who were forcing us to wear masks in these restaurants, you know, they were doing it because they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were helping others and helping stop the spread of COVID. And they were also doing it out of fear because they thought, oh, well, you could spread it to me and I could die, right? So there was a fear as well. So both of these things are powerful motivators and we have to be super mindful if there are people in power that are trying to, you know, force us to do things um, through fear or through compassion. And, and I, I think it's um, good then with this, you know, what has transpired then to, like we're talking about, you take a step back and, and recognize when you're faced with something like this, that there are other solutions available and to look for other possibilities. Uh, you know, like we were talking about, you know, vitamin D. I mean, I had to, I put together an acute viral protocol and, and nobody died on that one. You know, they, you know, everyone that got COVID, they jumped on that one. And, and, you know, we have a hundred percent success rate with that. Yeah. You know, again, doesn't mean that that cures COVID doesn't mean that that is, you know, you're not going to have a negative outcome because you do it. It just means that by giving the body the nutrients that it needs and also by 
you know, supporting it with immune boosting components, then you you increase your likelihood of, of survival and a better outcome because you are better fortified. You, you have a, your immune system is more active. And, and also knowing that you're taking an active step in itself gives you, puts you in a calmer place. And also that will then downregulate inflammation and, and activate the immune system. So, so these, these are looking for alternative solutions and looking for safer alternative solutions uh, instead of, of you know, putting blinders on and not looking for what else is out there. Like you were doing, you were talking to other doctors, you were looking at other research and and seeing what what is out there i mean like in regards to the mask you had you know one study they were showing surgeons that were using masks and surgeons that were not using masks and seeing what what was the difference in infection rate in the operation room and it was actually a little bit less with the ones not wearing the mask there was less infection so so what kind of protection then does the mask have uh, we don't know. I mean, it, we we assume that it does something, but we really don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when you were, are you still seeing COVID patients now? Do you have patients come in with some form of COVID at all? Yeah, yeah. So we, we still have, you know, people that have kind of the long hauler effect, you know, that, that are impacted by COVID or I uh, have patients that come you know with cancer because they got the shot you know so um yes i i deal a lot with that now i want to talk about the cancer part in a second um but going back to to kind of the covid protocol that you have been implementing any rough idea how many people who uh, were diagnosed with covid19 uh followed your protocol I mean, I, it, it, it'd be any, I would say at least three, four, five hundred, yeah, if not more. And these are patients in your clinic or patients uh, virtual and in your clinic? So this patient virtual in clinic and also I just made it that the patient knew about it. So they re- recommended it to people in the community. Yeah, so this, this became something that, you know, people use quite frequently. And they, they still do now, you know, when, when they start to feel something, now they know, well, I just do this and they, and then they feel better. So to clarify, we're not saying this is a cure for COVID, but <laughs> uh, what it, from you, you as a doctor who have worked with many patients um, and you said you've seen, you know, great results from your patients, uh, to this date, none of them have died following this protocol, which is uh, amazing to say. You know, there are people who take drugs, pharmaceutical drugs every day, who die every day from those drugs and those treatments. Unfortunately, those just kind of get washed under the rug. People don't talk about it. Um, you know, medical errors in hospitals is one of the leading causes of death. So people dying because the doctor made an error. Um and maybe gave them the wrong drug or the wrong treatment or whatever, and the patient dies. And again, those are just swept under the rug. You know, God forbid uh, someone died while following a natural protocol. I guarantee it'd be all over the news, unfortunately. But to say 100% of people have been following this protocol and have had 
um, you know, are still alive and uh, obviously have had some form of good results. Um, what, what is the, what is the protocol that you've been giving people? I mean, it's very simple. I do a super high dose of vitamin D. You know, I actually have them do 200,000 IU of vitamin D for, for three days and then go, you know, reduce it to 25,000. Obviously you need to adjust based upon age. So uh, you, you don't give a, a little baby, you know, that, that kind of a dose. So you need to adjust based upon that. But for normal adult, you know, 200,000, uh, then do 200,000 of vitamin A, uh, do, you know, liposomal C, you have them do at least 5,000 of that. Uh, brought zinc, you know, 200,000, I mean, 200 milligrams of that. Uh, have them uh, uh, gargle and, and drink uh, silver, you know, hydrolyzed, uh, uh, hydrolyzed silver or colloidal silver, you know, do at least a tablespoon, you know, three to four times a day. Usually you want to do that. It, it stays in your system about four hours. Every four hours is kind of a good good time to do that. Uh, and and, that, and echinacea, you know, did a high dose of echinacea, you know, three times a day. And that was kind of the, the core protocol. And then if somebody was dealing with, you know, where it became respiratory, then I added a few things like NSC, quercetin, you know, spru herbals, you know, with, with the, uh, and, you, and you can find this on my website. I, I think if you type in acute viral protocol, there's a PDF that you can find. Um, and so, so I have that. And then also I did even a little bit of a protocol in regards to, you know, people that had to get the vaccine, you know, what, what do I need to take in order to minimize the, the risk from it? You know, so then I, I just kind of analyze the the impact of the uh, mRNA, you know, and, uh, and what it did to the mitochondria, and to the endothelial lining, to the respiratory, uh, to the cytokines, and, and then put together a little protocol just based upon that. So, um, and it's it seems to work really well. And and then I I still love you know for people that are in crisis, you know, we had nurses going into homes and and giving them vitamin C IV and glutathione IV and, and, you know, helping, helping a huge amount of people were able to kind of get people that were on the way out, you know, uh, in the hospital, they put on ventilators and we kind of helped to guide the family in a way so that we were able to kind of get them out of the hospital and then get therapies like vitamin C IV uh, and then turn them around instead of them, you know, moving on to, uh, instead of instead of dying, and so we've had a number of number of those patients as well. Um, so yeah, it's 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 amazing when you support the body appropriately. The the intelligence and the tools that the body has, uh, if you rely on uh, rely on it and give it just regular nutrients and regular things that's been around around us, you know, forever. Now, the only concern I think could be drawn with that protocol, so everything you just shared is in incredibly safe um, and helps enhance the body naturally, but the really high doses of like, you know, vitamin D, uh, vitamin A, are there any concerns? You only do that for three days, right? The, the super high doses, but are yeah, there any the concerns D of adverse, you know, adverse, any kind of reactions from that high level of dosage? So the, the toxicity and everybody, you know, say, well, you know, it's going to destroy my liver and, and, you know, the, 
there really hasn't been a study showing, you know, that vitamin D toxicity, you know, at, at that kind of a dose for a period of time, it, it's not a, it's not a big issue. I mean, obviously if your liver is completely tanked, you know, your, your liver enzymes are, I mean, you're going, are in liver failure or, you know, you have really bad liver, then you shouldn't probably not do anything that puts stress on the liver. Um, but uh, it, it's at that dosage for a period of time, you know, that's, that's not a big deal. And you, the body will consume uh, when you're dealing with a viral infection, uh, the body will consume the resources at a much higher rate. So what was uh, a lot when you're healthy is, is different when you are dealing with a virus. So for instance, like a vitamin C, you know, you can, when you deal with certain viruses, you can consume like 200 grams of vitamin C in a day. Yeah. You know, so it, it becomes a really, uh, you burn through a lot of these nutrients quite quickly. So, um, so while you're sick, then just kind of recognize you have a greater need than what you would, you know, when, when you're healthy. Yeah. And you said, you say 20,000 units or 30,000 units a day for three days. For for the are we talking about the vitamin D or yeah vi so, vitamin D vitamin D uh, vitamin D I did two hundred thousand oh two hundred thousand yeah okay two hundred thousand so, for vitamin D and then but you're talking about three yeah for three days straight and then you reduce that down to what to twenty five thousand because I still for I, a few days I, or a week I, or what I I do that until they feel better yeah yeah so could be, it could be a few days could be a week could be it a couple could be weeks, a month depending a month yeah, yeah. It could be a month and they're they're still and so with with liver and looking at the vitamin d levels that's, that's another thing when you do kind of blood tests you know we uh we have kind of normal ranges between 30 to 80 you know according to kind of labs you know when when you have them drawn but in reality, health is more between like 80 to 100. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I like my patients to be. And you're not really dealing with toxicity until you start to get about 200 something. So when you get labs and you have vitamin D levels in the 140 and your, your doctor is, is, you know, their heads are starting to spin and then start to dance on, on the ceiling uh, because they think you're going to die. Uh, that's that's 140 is not it's not toxic you know all you do then is kind of recognizing yeah maybe i'm kind of getting up there a little bit yeah i'll decrease my dosage a little bit and bring it down to 100 yeah it doesn't mean that now you need to stop vitamin d and not take it for three months you just decrease your dosage and then you check it again and make sure yeah it's going down and now i'm holding between 80 to 100 which is usually a good place to be yeah absolutely and i found uh, from the Merck manuals, actually, that um, it took um, between one to four months of 40,000 units a day in infants to um, start to cause toxicity. So it's an infant, we're talking, you know, one-year-old, two-year-old, right? Taking 40,000 a day before, every day for between 30 days to 120 days before they start to see toxicity. So, um as you said, the um, obviously the adult, our body's a lot bigger. We need a lot more. And as we're sick, our body uses more resources. And check your vitamin D levels if you're concerned about it. Um, it's not that hard. It's, you can get a test online. But, you know, we did see 
major vitamin D deficiencies actually in the largest population of people who suffered from severe disease from uh, severe COVID-19 disease, right? So there were studies that were done that, that a large percentage of people had a, co- uh, had a vitamin D deficiency. So adding vitamin D in, you know, checking your levels first and then adding vitamin D in if you're not in the optimal range um, or adding it in for a period of a week or two weeks or three weeks, if you're feeling something, um, certainly is not going to harm you. And if anything, could be very helpful. Yeah, and, and vitamin D, in addition to being a vitamin, it's also a, a hormone. I mean, it's a hormone-like substance. Right. So um, it has a, a powerful, I mean, in addition to boosting the immune system, it's a power anti-inflammatory yeah, so here you're dealing then with a, a disease that is very inflammatory in nature. I mean, the, the biggest issue or, you know, the cytokine storms that you're dealing with, you know, impacting the respiratory, you know, so that, that, that was the biggest challenge. So if you could then quench that fire as quickly as possible, which, you know, when you just pour a huge amount of vitamin D, but and you can also bring quercetin, you can also bring curcumin, you know, all these other things and other cannabinoids, you know, really powerful, uh, like echinacea has a lot of cannabinoid in addition to its ability to upregulate the natural killer cell activity. Uh, but if if you just by pouring that on and quenching that fire, uh, obviously you are in a much better space and, and you're absolutely correct. There's a direct correlation between people that were succumbing to uh, COVID and their vitamin D levels, you know, so, uh, you know, if the, the people that had worse outcome tend to have, uh, you know, the vitamin D level was not in a good place, you know, so, uh, and like you mentioned, it, t- it takes a while to really kind of build up your vitamin D levels. So, you know, to yeah. do it for that period of time is, is, is you know, there's n- none of my patients that had issues. Yeah, well, that's that's amazing to hear. Um, I want to go back to the adverse events. Um, I'm going to share a graph. This is actually from Florida Health Department on their website, floridahealth.gov. Um, and we saw this, you know, so for people who think, oh, the vaccines don't cause any issues, right? That's what we're being told. Totally safe, don't cause issues, don't worry about it. Or the adverse events are so minute and so so few of them that, you know, you really don't have to worry. That's basically what people are constantly being told still to this day. But if you look at VAERS, Vaccine Adverse uh, Reporting System, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, that's kind of our early warning sign for vaccines if there are issues with them generally. um, You know, and again, this is just for people who don't know what it is because there's, if you come out and talk about it, you're going to get some kind of fact check that comes out and says, oh, VAERS is this, it's not that, whatever. VAERS is very simple right? It's, look, if there are a bunch of reports being reported after vaccine rollout, it's just a cause for concern for the the doctors and really the pharmaceutical companies and, and ideally the regulators, uh, like the FDA, for example, to look into it further and then say, hey, maybe we should pause this until we get more safety data. But that's not what happened with the COVID vaccines, which I found to be very shocking and disturbing. Because what happened was, and here's this is just Florida alone. In 2021, this was uh, the the amount of adverse events reported to VAERS after the 
vaccine rollout went from you know 2,466 the year before, 2,480 the year before that, 2,476 before that, all the way up to 41,000 adverse events being reported. And this is one tiny microcosm of the entire VAERS system. We saw the same thing basically across the entire country in the United States, where you saw in Florida alone a 1,700% increase in VAERS reports after the release of the COVID-19 vaccine, right? And we saw this in, um, if you look at every state in the entire United States, I think all of them had this massive level of increase of adverse events being reported. Now, it does not guarantee that those people had an adverse event from the vaccine. It does not guarantee that the deaths that were reported, the heart attacks, the all the strokes, the all the different things, numbness, tingling, you know, uh, tingling, anything from just swelling to, um, you know, paralysis. It doesn't guarantee that all those things were caused by the vaccine. But when you see hundreds of thousands and, in fact, actually millions of reports being submitted to VAERS right after a new vaccine rollout, literally within months. Um, that's a huge cause for concern. If it was any other time, any other vaccine, in seconds, that would have been pulled from the market and they would have had to look deeply into it and do significant um, studies on it to determine if it's actually safe. But they never did that. And in fact, all they did was gaslight people and say, Oh, the VAERS system's not trustworthy. It's our own government's, you know, system to track adverse events from vaccines. So to say it's not trustworthy, you're saying you don't trust. We, our government, don't trust ourselves, literally. That's what they're saying. And, you know, and there are multiple studies that you can find that showed an increase in um, coagulation disorders, acute cardiac injuries, Bell's palsies, encephalitis, um, acute cardiac arrest following the mRNA COVID-19 vaccination, uh, preliminary evidence showing increased risk of both coronary disease and cardiovascular disease, on and on and on. And again, I'm just showing Florida, but this is true across the entire United States. And again, I'm not coming out and saying the vaccine caused these things, but the fact that we saw this huge spike after the vaccines and then you couldn't talk about it, you were censored if you did, you know, I'm really hoping this doesn't get uh, censored, obviously, because this conversation is still as important today as it was two years ago. Um, we need to know that this stuff exists so we can actually make informed decisions for our health to know if there is risk. If there's risk at all, we have to know what the risk is. We have to be given the choice to choose that risk for ourselves and our children or not choose it. We cannot be forced to do these things if it causes, uh, if it has potential for harm, especially when the numbers look like it has potential for massive harm and even death. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's all about informed consent, and, and we we're not getting it. Uh, and it's it's interesting when we show the various data of you know twenty twenty one. The, the amount of adverse reactions from this vaccine is more than the total of all the other vaccines since VAERS was instituted. You know, so, so we, and I did an interview with uh, Dr. Don Huber. He was the, the assistant director for medical intelligence on the armed forces. You know, so he, he was, I mean, you would say that he was fairly knowledgeable in, in what was going on and he was, 
part of the you know the initial kind of swine uh, swine flu vaccine you know when they rolled that out and uh, and they had when I think he said there were 47 I can't remember the exact uh, number uh, but it's about 47 people that died you know after as an adverse reaction from from that vaccine and it was immediately pulled you know it was you know the risk was too high and here we're looking then at a, a vaccine where you know it's i mean i i probably know personally 47 people that have died you know from this vaccine you know no you know a, a friend that you know his girlfriend wouldn't date him you know unless he got the vaccine he got the vaccine and he died right after you know mm. and so i i you, you personally know 47 people then then there's risk for you know there there's a concern in regards to the informed consent i mean when they rolled out the vaccine and when you go to a pharmacy, you, you get these little kind of fold out, you know, talking about, you know, possible reactions, you know, what the drug is and what's in it and, and all these kind of things. And that's kind of your informed consent, you know, what it is that you're taking. So I was looking at that, that kind of fold out that was given with the, uh, with the vaccine, you know, and, and it was just blank. There was nothing on it. I mean, it's just a big sheet of white paper, you know, that had nothing on it. So here you're then injecting something that hasn't that in the past were proven to be detrimental and was on fast track so it, it's it's or for emergency use only so it hasn't really been studied tested appropriately in any way and you are mandating that to you know in order for you to exist in society you know it's mandated that you take this shot and here are all the concerns you know we and we don't know what they are because it's just a blank sheet of paper so, so obviously, that is that is cause for concern. And if if the government uh, and these pharmaceutical companies, if they are there to protect us fully, then this equation doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know? So then we need to start to question. You know, can I just rely on these institutions for my own well-being, or do I need to take personal responsibility? And and for me and, and my life, you know, my family, I feel that it's important that we take personal responsibility and and question authorities, question the government, and and don't just swallow everything, you know, all the information that we get. Yeah, I mean, sorry to hear about your friend. I I know of people as well who got the vaccine and literally within days or weeks after getting either the first or their second dose, they went from a primarily healthy person to literally having a heart attack or some kind of uh, acute heart issue, you know, these kinds of things. Of course, I can't prove that was from the vaccine, but how do you explain somebody who's in, you know, 27 years old um, or 35 years old and who is primarily healthy does not have any underlying chronic health conditions. They don't have cancer. They don't have diabetes. They're not overweight. They don't um, have metabolic disease. They've had no heart issues their entire life. They get the vaccine and two weeks later have a heart attack. Like, how do you explain that in any other way? Well, that's the problem is because you can't directly associate and say, this is the direct cause. That's kind of how these things just get swept under the rug. But it's very sad for the people who are, you know, they don't have informed consent. They don't understand the actual risks. And then they're, 
told to take this vaccine just to prevent themselves getting sick, which we know it's not a great preventative for healthy people, or to prevent spreading it to other people, which we also know that it's not great at preventing spreading it to other people. Um, that's the main reasons why people took this, right? Is because they were told, hey, if you take this, then you, um, you won't spread it, which is not true. We know that that's not true at all. They started calling it breakthrough infections, that you wouldn't spread it or that you wouldn't get it. You were also told you won't get COVID if you take the vaccine. And then when you started getting COVID, even after you had two doses, they called them breakthrough infections. Well, what we came to learn later was that they knew all along that the uh, COVID vaccine wouldn't stop the spread and wouldn't stop you from getting it either. And people were told that um, if you took the vaccine that you um, you would be saving other people's lives. And what we know now and what I think a lot of us knew early on and when we would talk about this, you know, we would get censored from it, was that um, most of the data was showing that if you were elderly with a, multiple chronic health conditions, then maybe your, uh, reduce, your, your risk for reduction of severe COVID-19 disease um, could be much higher. Your, your reduced risk would be much higher than a younger, healthy person. You know, younger, healthy people were not dying from COVID. It, 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 the numbers were so, so small, especially children. The numbers were so small. It, it made no sense to me that our government would come out and say, hey, now it's approved for children and all the children need to get vaccinated and then schools are starting to mandate it and businesses are mandating like every single person, whether you're healthy or not, you know, needs to get this vaccine. Like there's no other explanation to me than, you know, profits and power. I mean, what other explanation is there for that when there's no data that shows that, you know, uh, by children getting this, it's going to help them be safer and healthier because they weren't dying from this anyway. Yeah, and, and now it's the next step. I mean, it's going to become part of just kind of the, the child vaccine schedule. Yeah, just just because, and like you're saying, the children, they, they're really at, at no risk for this. I mean, their immune system is, is kind of really equipped to deal with these things. Uh, but we're injecting them anyway. And, and the reason is that there is already a... a, a kind of set out process for child vaccination. So it's easy to just kind of add another vaccine into that process. So now we have, and then with all these kind of implications of this virus, I mean, we're talking about, you know, sterility, really. I mean, there's going to be less children born and, you know, the, the impact that it seems to have on the reproductive so we're going to see some of that. We're going to also see, you know, we, we know we like ADD, ADHD, autism, all of these, you know, it's kind of like a brain on fire. So here you're introducing something that is triggering that inflammatory response. So we're going to see even more of that than what we have. Uh, and obviously anxiety, depression, all of these things, you know, also when, when the brain is inflamed. In so and then in regards to kind of the strategies right around when the pandemic took place, you know, where everybody isolated, we all masked up and we all, you know, stay, stay away from each other six feet away. It, that doesn't make any, any sense. I mean, talking uh, to epidemiologists, you know, they, 
the the way you control because there's no way if you're going to make that effective then you would need to pretty much isolate each individual by themselves with no interaction with anyone that that's the only way that that would be able to be effective if you cannot achieve that then it is not effective and uh, it is make i mean it's smart then to kind of if, if the elderly during the pandemic you you kind of let them uh, be kind of in their own space and you don't interact with them as much and as the pandemic you know gets you know has kind of moved through it has that initial spike as it has kind of moving through then you start to kind of interact with them more and more and more but you definitely let children be go you know let them go to school because that is how their immune system then uh, gets trained in how to deal with infections and then they uh, then their parents, you know, the, the next level of, of kind of health, so to say, they are then able to, their immune system gets trained in how to deal with it. And the thing with viruses is that you don't, you're not dealing just with one virus. I mean, you have, it, it mutates, it goes in all these different directions. It, it acts differently in your body than in, in this other person's body. So to create one vaccine for all these possibilities uh, is you know you you can't you know and and that's why we're talking about like escape variants you know if you have like a a group that isolate themselves and they they will then develop uh, a certain type you know the the virus will mutate enough within that group until it's unable to es escape and I think it's like six or seven mutations that it done uh, that it does and then if it meets somebody that where it's six to seven mutations away. Uh, then it can then jump to that individual. So then by isolating individuals, uh, isolating group, you are then able then to create more of these escape variants rather than if you interact with each other, then you are the immune system, you're kind of sharing viruses, sharing intelligence, and that the immune system can respond to before the virus is able to mutate to a point where it can impact other people. So uh, so the whole strategy that that we did at that time, and then to prolong that whole process, uh, it didn't make any sense, and and it just made everything worse. It just allowed things to escalate and allowed us to kind of get it again and again and again. So if you were the, um, you know, Surgeon General, or if you were, let's say, you had you know Fauci's position in the government right, which was this kind of spokesperson for the health of the entire country, spokesperson for the WHO and the CDC, you know, the, the, the person who was on camera every other day telling people what to do and what not to do. If that was you, Dr. Michael Carlfeld, and we went back to, you know, the beginning of 2020, um, what would Actually, let's forget about that. Let, let's because you wouldn't know what we know now at 2020. You would have theories and ideas. We have a lot more evidence now. Let's say a big wave of, of COVID-19 were to you know rush over the world again. All these scares, reports, people dying, et cetera, et cetera. It, it started happening tomorrow. What would you do differently? What would you? What are the th things that you would do differently than what was done? I, I would definitely allow it an open discussion. 
<laughs> yeah, because you you want all the the best of the minds to to discuss what's going on and how how to solve this. Uh, I would allow the I I would have the elderly uh, probably stay put and kind of be in a kind of safer area, stay home, you know, don't interact too much with the public yet. You know, we don't know what we're dealing with. Uh, I would have the children still go to school. I would not close businesses. I would uh, set up an educational program uh, in regards to good lifestyle, good eating, and the importance of what to do to uh, support the body, to minimize comorbidities, to deal then with what we are facing. Uh, I would definitely have a, a protocol that doctors can implement uh, that is while the person is infected, that this is what they can do. Uh, and so that they don't, we didn't have that huge wave of people ending up in the hospitals that, that, you know, overburdening the hospitals because, you know, people, if people would have been taken care of, you know, while they were exhibiting symptoms, uh, we wouldn't have overburdened the hospitals, you know, all of that would, we would have had plenty of beds. And in fact, we probably already had plenty of beds other than certain locations. Uh, so I, I think kind of those, uh, and, and I would also set up tents with vitamin C IV drips available, you know, so that, you know, people are starting to feel sick. They have then a, a tent or a location that they can go to uh, to quickly get some vitamin C into their system. I, I think just doing those simple um, implementations uh, would have really turned this around and made this into a nothingness. Hey, I'd vote for you. You got my vote right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. you know, I had this thought. Um, I shared it early on the pandemic. I said, look, why aren't we sending, you know, packets of vitamin D, vitamin C, uh, zinc to, to the elderly all over the country, right? Very cheap, very affordable, way less uh, costly than so many people ending up in the hospitals on ventilators, et cetera, you know, burning the uh, medical system, way less costly. And maybe we'd be saving so many of their lives and it could be shipped out to people, you know, all over the country and all over the world. Um, and, you know, there, there's no risk in that. There's no risk in somebody taking some, some vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a risky thing. Even if there's no peer-reviewed, double-blind uh, studies that say vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc are going to cure COVID, even if that doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. Because we know there are tons of studies that show that those three things and more that we've talked about, quercetin, for example, enhance the immune system, have antiviral properties, antibacterial properties, and help your body fight against infection. Just knowing that alone would make sense to, hey, let's send, let's just send this out to, you know, the, at least the most vulnerable people. Like you said, if we're going to isolate our elderly, let's give them support as well. Not only education, like you said, you know, what can you do to, to enhance your health for everybody, but let's give them free support. I would have happily paid for that with my tax dollars, you know? Um, but to pay for the funding out of my tax dollars of an experimental mass vaccination program with very little studies, no long-term safety data. And when I'm saying long-term, we're saying five to seven to 10 years, which is what it takes for almost every vaccine to get approved. We had no long-term safety data. And all of our 
you know, uh, all of us were paying with that with our tax dollars for, you know, the funding of these things. And so um, I would vote for you. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I think we probably I'll bring you on my in, in my inner group. I would happily join you and uh, and I'd be making sure everyone got some free vitamins, you know, <laughs> And, yeah, um, it, it, it's so like you're saying, it, it would have been so inexpensive, you know, and, and the impact would have been so tremendous. I mean, with vitamin C, the worst that can happen, you get loose stool, you know, and then you cut back on the dosage. Uh, that's, that's it. You know, that's, that's all there is. And right. uh, yeah, so it, it, it would have been, uh, yeah, if, if they would have had our best interest at heart and it was not the money, then these cheap solutions would have been talked about more freely. Well, hopefully people watching this, you know, research into this topic more. Uh, hopefully those of you watching or listening um, are doing things every day to take care of your health naturally. We know exercise, diet, meditation, relaxation techniques, um, you know, vitamins and organic, um, high vegetable rich diet you know, these are things you can do every day to to take control of your health and help prevent, you know, potential death from whatever comes along and you feel amazing doing it. So, you know, Michael, I'm, I'm so glad um, we had this conversation and I'm so grateful for the work that that you've done. You stood up, you know, with so much adversity, being a doctor in the spotlight, you know, being ridiculed and called, you know, names and so forth, but still standing up for what you believe in and having success with your patients during this really challenging time. Um, so, you know, I'm grateful to know that doctors like you exist and are doing things every day to help patients take back control of their health. And I know that you, you've got a lot of cool things you're working on and coming up. Um, you know, the center, I know you guys just moved into a new location. You've expanded, um, I think you've got what, like 10 different doctors on staff I saw. Um, tell me a little bit more about uh, the Carlfeld Center there in Idaho. Yeah, we, we just moved into a 17,000 square foot space. Yeah, so that we can we can offer more tools and, you know, like ozone therapy, photodynamic therapy, all these different IVs that we, we've talked about, you know, and uh, uh, just so that we can offer tools that, uh, people may not recognize is available uh, so that people have a choice because that's, that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about choice that people should be able to make an educated choice. So when, when you're struggling with, you know, God forbid cancer or uh, neurological, something, something severe, or even if you just want to kind of keep your body healthy, then just have these type of tools available that are, uh, immune boosting, supportive, regenerative, uh, you know, doesn't have negative effects like a lot of pharmaceutical uh, drugs would have. And so, yeah, so we, we brought a lot of these therapies together under, under one roof with a number of different doctors and practitioners. And, and so it, it's really, uh, it's a dream of mine to be able to offer this to, uh, to the public and have people flying in from a little bit all over the place to, to be able to take advantage of it. And, and I'm excited to, to get to offer that. Yeah, that's awesome. Where's the best place for people to uh, learn about you and your work and, and your center if they want to come check it out? 
the my the website is the carlfeldcenter.com you know my last name carlfeld is k a r l f e l d t center.com and uh, uh or give us a call at 208-338-8902 and we'd be happy to to help you guys Awesome, Michael. Well, thank you so much. Um, always a joy and a pleasure to uh, spend time with you and learn from you. And, um, you know, like I said, I appreciate you so much doing such amazing work in the world. And as I said, it's doctors like you that give me and so many uh, other people hope in the world that, uh, you know, there's still people who who care about others and her, who are trying to do the right thing. Um, to to help people take control of their health so thank you so much appreciate it thank you so much thank you for everything you do for all the information and all everything that you uh, that you stand for and are, are are putting out there to empower people so it's, it's an honor to know you and and so thank you thanks for listening to the nathan crane podcast if you found value in today's podcast Please share it with others, subscribe to catch future episodes, and leave a rating and a review. For more information or to connect with Nathan, check him out online at www.nathancrane.com and follow him on Facebook and YouTube at Nathan Crane. Until next time, this has been the Nathan Crane Podcast.